Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast, hosted by longtime Northwest sports journalist Dan Viennes. News, reaction, and opinion. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Viennes. Seahawks fans, welcome back to Seahawks Forever. Took a little bit of a break. You know, it's that time of year, but there is always news. There's always things to talk about. The Seahawks just wrapping up their rookie mini camp, so we had a chance to see the draft picks and the undrafted free agents in person. Some interesting reports coming out about guys looking good, um, guys gaining weight, guys looking strong, guys looking fast. Uh, some guys taking it easy, including the Seahawks' first two uh, two first-round draft picks, Devin Witherspoon and Jackson Smith and Jigba, who we're going to talk about in a minute because it is my distinct pleasure today to welcome back to the show host of Cigar Thoughts, uh, podcast Jackson Bevins joins me again. Jackson, are you recovered from the draft? Uh, just barely, man. What a fun <laughs> and sexy time that was. So we're going to start right off the top. There's something I want to do um, because I don't want to, you know, the draft has been what, three weeks now? It seems like forever. It seems like it was yesterday though, too. And we've dissected it. We've analyzed it uh, to death and I will get your overall thoughts, but there's one thing in particular that I wanted to talk to you about. So you'd been talking about your love of the fit of Jackson Smith and Jigba at that second first round pick for a while. In fact, with the mock draft you did the week before the draft with Rob Staten, that was your pick. Um, And so you live streamed the first round of the draft. You got to react to that live. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, first of all, before I do this, because you haven't even heard this yet, I put a little something together. Um, looking back now, what do you what do you make of that whole thing? Because for years, as a Seahawks fan, when we watch the draft, every time they go to the podium, we have names that that are running through our our heads that we want them to call, and they never call any of those names. That's changed the last two years. For so, in that moment, what's your recollection of how you felt when you heard? That was the selection. Well, I couldn't believe that there hadn't been any wide receivers taken in the first 19 picks. Um, And so, you know, I was super honed in on JSN the entire time. And when he was still there, this was, you know, to your point, we talk so much about like the, oh, please pick my guy. Please pick my guy. I cannot remember the last time I felt this strongly about please pick my guy right here. Um, I just think that he, one, I think he's clearly the best wide receiver in this class. I think that if he was able to come out after his sophomore season, um, if he was eligible, he would have gone in the top 10. And I say that knowing that Drake London and Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and Traylon Burks and Jamison Mm -hmm. Williams were all top 18 picks. John Schneider says, yep. I still think he goes top 10. So um, the fact that he, more or less sat out last year with his hamstring injury help. And and when they got him, I mean, it was, it was elation. It's, it's the perfect player for this team. He's a perfect player for any team. There is not one team. He's not a scheme dependent wide receiver. That guy is open by the time the ball hits the quarterback's hands at the beginning of a play. Um, he fits everywhere. Yeah. And I think he makes Seattle arguably the best receiving core in the NFL. So I went back and uh, took your episode from that night when you're live streaming <laughs> oh, and I put right. a little montage together. So this is a little bit leading up to, and of <laughs> course right. the moment when JSN was selected at 20, here we go. Guys, 
Is it too early to start getting excited about Jackson Smith and Jigba at 20? I, I think you just, you, you honestly, you just need kind of like a fantasy pick to have. <laughs> I do. Jackson, if, uh, if the Seahawks take JSN or Michael Mayer, name bragging rights forever. That's right. It's Mike versus Jackson. That's again. Right. Once again. Just like every week. All right. All right. We are sitting here with the Seahawks staring down the 20th pick, and both Nolan Smith and Jackson Smith and Jigba are on the board. You guys know where I'm at. I am going to be fucking thrilled with either of those two. Somebody with a Smith in their name. Just give me a Smith. You're going to lose your mind if it's Jackson Smith and Jigba. Any Smith. Hello. Hey, is this Jackson? Yeah, it's him. Jackson, hey, it's John Schneider with the Seahawks, man. How you doing, bud? I'm doing good. How you doing? Good, man. We had a great time hanging out with you at the school, bud. But uh, we can't wait to get you up here to Seattle, okay? We're going to select you right here. Let's do it. All right. All right, let's hear it for Jackson. Yeah! Oh, my God! Let's oh, my go! God! Let's go! No way! Come on! Come on! The dream! Oh, my God. The dream! Oh, God. Does that bring back some good memories? Yeah, yeah. As you can tell, I was pretty ambivalent about that selection. So I call that... Um, you mentioned you, you can't remember the last time that you, you know, that they picked the guy you wanted to pick. Uh, I talked about it leading up to the draft. Uh, I call it the Owen Schmidt reaction. If you remember <laughs> Owen Schmidt, the fullback yeah, out of West Virginia, I think it was 2008. The guy used to bash his face in with his own yeah. helmet before the game. He was just a guy for all those reasons that I just loved and just wanted so badly. I was back in the Mike Holmgren days. There was the day. Yeah, I think Holmgren was the coach when they selected him. I think it was right before the Mora year. And uh, he fit the offense and all of that. And I was uh, I was managing a little sports bar in Bellevue at the time. And it was a Sunday. It was the last day of the draft. And I was all by myself. It just I don't even think I'd opened the doors yet. And I was watching the draft and they made that pick. And I was doing about what you were doing there, except I was running around the bar all by myself <laughs> like a fucking loon. Uh, and, you know, of course, Owen Schmidt didn't turn out to be much. I think JSN will be a little bit better than that. Here's hoping. <laughs> uh, one last thing on JSN uh, before we move on. I got a chance to meet his parents this week. Um, so cool. Where I work, they hosted, the Seahawks hosted. They, it's amazing the things they do. And I don't know what the other organizations do or don't do for these things. But, but they fly all the draft picks parents out for mini camp. And they put them up. And they brought them. And, and we hosted a dinner for them. And, uh, and I, I'm, I try to separate my two professions, right? My two passions and, and not crossover. People always ask me, did you, did you talk to him, talk to him about your podcast? You, no, fuck no. I'm not going to, you know, right. when I, when I, when I wait on Bobby Wagner, I'm not going to go, Hey, you know, I have a podcast. Cause you know what? Right. Everyone has a fucking podcast these days. Right. I thought, I thought we, I thought we were the only white guys with <laughs> podcasts talking about sports You're telling me there's others. I think it's pretty common now, but here's the thing. If People will record a podcast once and it'll sit in the archives from seven years ago and they'll go, yeah, I have a pod. I, I do a podcast. <laughs> totally. You know what I'm talking about. I'm not to, not to shit on other podcasters. We respect no, them but, all. No, there's a trillion of us. Um, but anyway, but, but in this case, uh, his father came up to me. He was on his way. He was outside in the hallway 
And he asked me, he said, what's your name again? And, and he introduced himself as Jackson's dad. And that gave me an opportunity to tell him that, and this is one thing you and I have in common. I said, look, uh, I'm a sports nut, Seahawks season ticket holder my whole life, blah, blah, blah. I said, I'm also a draft nerd and a mock draft addict. It's a problem. And I did mm-hmm. hundreds of mock drafts throughout the off season. And, and my most common, most popular favorite pick at 20, the entire process was your son at 20. It just made sense. And it was, I was so excited to see him take it. And his father was so gracious. And he, he spoke in such glowing terms about uh, the Seahawks organization, how they've been treated said they really weren't that familiar, didn't know much about Seattle or the organization at all, um, and didn't have a lot of contact with them outside of the pro day, but they couldn't be happier with how things went. Yeah. And then, and then uh, when I went back to the table the next time, he introduced me to his mom, got to meet her, and uh, they're not married anymore. The mom's boyfriend was even there. And, and Jackson's dad says, you two would get along because he listens to podcasts and he loves mock drafts. So by the, by the time I left, his <laughs> mom comes up to me and says, I subscribe to your podcast. Now we'll be listening. So hopefully right. they're listening today and they got to hear All a little right. bit about your excitement and your reaction. Well, here's, here's the thing. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba and I uh, belong to a very exclusive club. The no K is okay club. We both, <laughs> we both spell Indeed. Jackson. In very unique ways. So uh, good to have them on board. Uh, when are the shirts going to be printed? Yeah, right? working on it. Yeah. Okay. I want one. I'm going uh, through the people that made the let's get Schmidt faced shirts. We know when Schmidt was drafted. <laughs> Why do I not own one of those? I'd be wearing it know, right man. now. I don't know. <laughs> well, let's move on. Uh, now that you've had a chance to dissect it, because now more than ever, this ever since the draft went to three days, in some ways it's, it's, fun. It's exciting. It stretches out an event that we love and and makes it even longer and bigger, but also you don't get the picture right away, the full picture. And there was, I, you know, I think most of the fan base would agree going to bed Thursday night and Friday night, it was a lot of nerves because they hadn't addressed the trenches, but now you get a chance to look back at the full scope, uh, the full context of, of all 10 draft picks. We've gotten to hear some things about how they performed in mini camp. We've seen them put together with the undrafted free agents Looking back now, how's, how do you feel generally about that draft class? Good, good. I think, um, you know, and, and this isn't homerism or going out on a limb, the, the Seahawks got almost universal A grades um, yeah. from the industry with this draft. And, you know, it, it highlighted perhaps more than any other draft I can remember. And a lot of it has to do with just they had so much firepower in the first two rounds. Mm-hmm. But the Seahawks drafted the best players left on their board as opposed to drafting for need. And we, as fans, we tend to look at the holes in the hole and say, we got to patch that up first. And I think a lot of times if those holes aren't sinking your ship, you're going to go further and faster by making bigger sales, right? Putting more wind in your main sales and Seattle strengthened their strengths. They had an offense that overachieved expectations quite a bit last year. And they leaned into that. Um, they had two rookie corners last year that performed at an excellent level. They leaned further into that. And, and by doing that, I think you now have a top three to five secondary in the NFL and a top three receiver core. And when you look at the teams that have been in the Super Bowl the last 10 years, without fail, they have elite pass catchers and great corners. They, they just all do. You know, yes, yeah. quarterback's important. Absolutely. It's great to have a good line. Awesome to have a great defensive line. 
all that stuff is good. Good players are good to have. But the common denominator are the people catching the ball and the people defending those guys. And now Seattle is loaded at those positions. And then in day three, that's where they started patching up or trying to the holes in the hole of the ship. And they drafted 1,200 pounds of football player (laughs) in their first four picks on day three. I mean, just big dudes. And I really love Anthony Bradford. He's the guy that I mocked to Seattle in our mock draft show at 83. He was still there at 108. Um, he is just just an absolute monster. Um, you know, he he lacks some footwork potentially. I think that's the kind of thing that can get coached up. Mm-hmm. You can't coach up a 9.8 RAS score, right? I mean, we're talking at 335. Yeah. Yeah. 340 pounds with a 30 plus inch vertical. I mean, this crazy explosive dude. So, um, and then, and then, you know, they got their center, they got a couple of defensive linemen. Um, they got their new Travis Homer in Kenny McIntosh, who I think is just a souped up version. You know, they, they went out and they found elite athletes at almost every single pick. And, and that's really encouraging. Yeah. Well, the two Michigan guys were one of my highlights of the draft too, because I, I, I went back and looked uh, yesterday and the very first uh, live mock draft I did on the show with Michael Thompson, um, we had Olawatimi in the fifth round. Uh, so that was, that was a little, that was nice a little call. pat on the back there. But uh, also Mike Morris was a guy that early in the process, he was one of the first edges that I looked at and a guy that I just fell in love with. Cause I was, I was looking at the time for guys that I was a little hyper-focused early in the process on three, four versus four, three, which I think we can all agree now is, is not as distinctive of a, of a concern, but yeah. I was looking for guys that could play that big end. And there weren't a lot of them in this class early on. Mm-hmm. There were guys like Zach Harrison out of Ohio state, but I just didn't see enough on film from him. But Mike Morris was a guy that I just loved the way he played with his hair on fire and just his, his physicality and his length. And, and uh, so he was a guy that I liked all th- through the process. It was cool to see him. Um, be one of the picks. Were there any Creed Humphrey moments in this draft for you where there was a guy that we picked ahead of someone else that you really were hoping that they would pick I instead? Mean, yeah, I'll, I'll take the bait. You know, I, I, I love Zach Charbonnet, the player. Um, I like Kendra Miller and Roshan Johnson and Ty yeah. J Spears yeah. and those guys too, right? You yeah. had uh, John Michael Schmidt waiting for you there at center. And I think a lot of it is kind of Creed Humphrey redux, right? Going yeah. with the, yeah. the uh, like almost like a superfluous skill position player over a potentially very good center. Um, that one, I get it. I get it. it. We are still trapped as football fans in a lot of ways in the 90s and early 2000s, the way we view running back, mm-hmm. where once you've got a guy, you give him 400 touches and that's just how you go. But the physics of the game have changed so much, you know, yeah. those guys were running four sixes and getting hit by 225 pound linebackers who were also running four sixes. And now everyone's running a four, four, everyone's 240 pounds. Yeah. Everyone's bringing just insane physical contact and running backs just don't hold up unless you're Derek Henry, you just Christian McCaffrey. You just don't hold up to that workload. So Seattle wasn't going to give Kenneth Walker a million touches. Right. Uh, and and Charbonnet is a perfect complement for him. I, I do think they're setting up a D'Angelo Williams, Jonathan Stewart type split. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's going to be a role-specific deal. I think it's going to be Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, where you have fresh legs on every drive. And yeah. you kind of trust these guys to handle all of the responsibilities while they're on the field. And then 
for your two minute guy, you got Kenny McIntosh, who I think is Jarek McKinnon. Yeah. And you know, that's, I, I like how they have addressed the running back room, but there was opportunity cost at pick 52. Yeah, I think that there's always at every draft you come out of, there's things that, you know, if you could fast forward two or three years, you're going to look back and really judge the class on. And I think that's one kind of hinge uh, point of the draft where same way, love the player and and actually like where they got him. But I was a big fan of Roshan Johnson. He was probably my second or third most commonly mocked guy. Yeah, he's Chris and, he's, and he was fourth or fifth round all day long. I think he ended up going in the fourth. So, yeah. um, you know, that opportunity cost over a guy like Zach Pickens. So, so, so Cameron Young versus some of those other guys they could have had that'll, right. you know, some of the, if Cameron Young becomes nothing more than a rotational solid pro, one of those other guys they could have had at the Charbonneau pick, Charbonnet pick, um, yeah. you know, those things that time will tell. Plus then they end up getting, ironically, they end up getting Kenny McIntosh in the seventh who Jim Nagy said they had as a third round grade on. And so yeah. you still end up, you know, double dipping and getting a guy in the same draft you you appease the people who say you can get great value at running back later while also pissing off the people that say don't take it early so and 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 here's the thing right like we're we're in act two of the off season you have your first rush of free agency then you have the draft and then now we're entering act three which is there's still a lot of guys out there Mm -hmm. who weren't signed uh in you know that first wave who have a lot of talent who are going to sign for less now they're just going to have to you're going to have all of the cap gymnastics that teams go through with their pre and post June 1st cuts, you're going to see a lot more talent hit the the open market. And, you know, you're not going to be having to spend Draymond Jones money to get them. So yeah. we'll, we'll see. I'm, I'm trying hard not to close the book on this off season, but I, I do wonder about uh, the capital that they've spent so far on offensive and defensive line. Well, and that's, that was leads me to my next question. So immediately after the draft, I think, I think all of us universally liked what they did, but still thought they were light up front. I mean, literally they were light. There were only five healthy signed defensive interior linemen where last year they started uh, on the initial 53, they had seven. Um, since then they've added uh, they signed Mario Edwards. They've added Forrest Merrill, kind of an interesting little under, under totally. the radar pickup this week. Uh, the kid from uh, from Oregon that was undrafted two years ago from the Sea Dragons, Fiolu, who's uh, kind of interesting. Some undrafted guys, Robert Cooper. Um, do you feel a little bit better today than you did after the draft, or do you still are are you still hoping they add there? No, I mean, you know, these these are roster churn guys. Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe one of them's Puna Ford. And and they rise up to the top and can be a meaningful contributor. But and and Seattle has had more success than most teams at at finding late picks and and undrafted guys that end up being contributors. From a process standpoint, it's not ideal. Um, but you know they're going to throw a lot of darts here over the next three months, and hopefully a couple of them stick. And the thing is, is like I was surprised that Shelby Harris and Puna Ford and Al Woods and Quentin Jefferson were all let go. I also don't think those guys were very good last year outside of yeah. Shelby Harris. Yeah. Um, Puna Ford had a down year. Al Woods is useful in that you can't move him. Yeah. And, you know, he, he had some nice plays. He's, he's an old guy, you know? So yes, I, they, I wonder they created- what's, I wonder what's going on with Shelby because, you know, they talked early in the off season about wanting to bring him back. He hasn't been signed, hasn't gone on a visit. 
there's no rumored interest in him at all. The market's kind of bottoming out, bottoming out now, as you said. There was a clear need there. It feels like when they signed Mario Edwards, it closed the door on Shelby Harris. And and someone suggested to me the other day that maybe, uh, maybe he had a chip on his shoulder. That maybe he was he was ticked off that they did let him go. Seahawks have had success bringing guys back after doing that, but I just I, I wonder what happened there. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, topically enough, it's it could be Jaron Reed Redux. You know, yeah. there is. A lot of hard feelings yeah. uh, with Jaron Reed leaving. They they wanted him to restructure, and he didn't. And you know he he went on to play well with the Chiefs and sort of well with the Packers. And now he's back. And we could see the same thing with Shelby Harris. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's a Seahawk. Um, you know, there's still a couple of banks that the Seahawks can go to mm-hmm. in Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams. Um, for some restructures and, uh, and, and clear up some money for something like that. You know, uh, they already did it with Tyler Lockett. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be curious to see how willing they are to kind of kick the can down the road because last year was a build it up year, but it's kind of go time now, right? Like if you're not going to draft the heir apparent to Geno Smith, then you, you got to get down to the business of getting down and NFC is wide open. I think you have two clear teams at the top in philadelphia and san francisco i think dallas is kind of in a tier by themselves right beneath that and then you're right there the seahawks the lions the vikings these are teams that are right there that can make a run at getting to the second or third round of the playoffs the way the roster sits today do you think the seahawks have gained ground on the 49ers yes because i think the 49ers have lost ground um and that's just the nature of of the nfl they i don't think they had a very good draft um they didn't have any picks till the late third round. They used yeah. one of those on a kicker. Um, <laughs> he's a supposed to. He's a end. really good kicker, though. Really good Jackson. kicker. That's Come great. On. And they've had a really great kicker in Robert <laughs> right. Gold since forever, right? Like that's yeah. so. At best, at best, that's they're treading water at yeah. that position. Um, they didn't add a lot of talent, honestly, yeah. in my opinion. And, and even the guy they did, they had, J- to, they had Hargrave. to let a lot of guys go in free agency. Yeah. Like they got big contracts looming right now. Yeah. Um, which is why I think that they are so hyper-focused on Brock Purdy being the guy there because he he frees up so much money. If you can mm-hmm. pay a seventh-round pick at the most expensive position on a rookie contract, it does free up the money. But they have to make Nick Bosa the highest-paid non-quarterback in NFL history oh, yeah. soon. Yeah, you know, like they've they've got some big decisions. Um, you know, they've extended Fred Warner at the top of the market and Debo Samuel at the top of the market. They've got a brand Nayuk decision to make. Um, you know, Christian McCaffrey is an expensive running back. They, I, I think Seattle gained quite a bit of ground. I think they have a long way to go, though. The 49ers, that roster is beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, let's take a look at the schedule. Just came out on the 11th. Um, talked about personnel. Talked about, you know, a second straight draft class, so a young team heading into this season. Um, what are your initial thoughts on how the schedule lays out? I don't love the early buy, no. but that's whatever. You know, one one thing I do not buy into is, you know, and, and I think every team looks at the schedule and go, oh, the NFL is screwing us. I don't think any of us appreciate the process of scheduling what is it? 196 NFL games every yeah. every week or every season. 
because it's not just about like, oh, we want this team to play this team on this week. You got concerts to work around and baseball to work Mm -hmm. around and basketball to work around and all kinds of stuff that you are trying to navigate while not stringing together too many road games in a row, not making sure that teams have too many short weeks, you know, like it's, it's a really tough thing. And I think the chips just kind of fall where they're at. So uh, initial response, I think it's, I think it's a pretty tough setup for Seattle. Uh, the early buy in week five, I don't love that. Um, but they could very easily be four and going into that. They get the Rams at home, then at Detroit. I think that is going to be a great game. Yeah. And then Carolina at home and at the giants. I think those are all winnable. And then, you know, after that, play a lot of good teams go to Cincinnati. I think Cleveland's going to be very good. You're at Baltimore Rams on the road. You still have two against the 49ers. You get Dallas and Philly. There is a four week stretch. That's a gauntlet. Yeah. Where you go San Francisco, Dallas, San Francisco, Philadelphia. That is four games against the clear three best teams in your conference late in the season. Yep. And then I think you have three very winnable ones down the stretch, Tennessee, Pittsburgh, Arizona. So, um, you know, I think I think it's kind of a, a softer takeoff and a softer landing, and then the middle is just brutal. You'd sure like to see that four-game stretch broken up a little bit. That's it, it's the the things I like about the way the schedule lays out. Given that it's such a young team, right, and there's going to be some young players playing key roles week one, it is kind of a soft landing out of the gate. I don't think you could have gotten much easier than. Well, I'm not going to use the word. I guess Arizona at home week one would probably be your softest landing because who knows who's going to play quarterback for them. Rams are still going to have a healthy Stafford, presumably Cooper Cup, Aaron Donald. It's just there's nothing else outside of those three. Well, and they were terrible last year and Seattle barely won both of those games. Yeah. So that's that's just the nature of McVay. Probably the second best home opener that you could get out of this schedule. And, and, you know, Bobby coming back again, it's going to be an electric atmosphere. So I like that the you know a young team gets some some reasonable games and matchups coming out of the gate and then maybe because of the youth um that early buy isn't a bad time to reset and then yeah. the then the easy finish and again I hesitate to use the word easy when it comes to the NFL of but course. but everyone Everybody knows what I'm talking about yeah. and then that four game stretch it's late enough in the season that if everything goes well enough they should have Jordan Brooks back by then that's about the time that Schneider and Carroll have used, they used John Radigan's recovery kind of as a parallel time-wise and thought he'd be back maybe November 12th. I think he said early in November. If he comes back and and is is effective, maybe Brian Monet is even back by then if they need some reinforcements inside. Um, but man, that's tough. And then everyone made so much out of, you know, Tyler Lockett tweeted the morning of the schedule release. My sources tell me we have three games in 12 days. Everyone has three games in 12 days every year. It's just structured differently. It's Sunday, Sunday into Thursday. This yeah. year it's Thursday, Thursday, or Sunday, Thursday, Thursday. Yeah. And, and, you know, they, they are adding the second Thursday game is, you know, it's Thursday night football. It's for the fans, it's for the fantasy degenerates like myself, but it's, it's not great for the players and and they're, all in accord on that. So you hear they're going to have two Thursday games. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But stringing them back to back is nice. Every, I think every team has their two Thursday games back to back. And 
yeah, you're right. It is still three games in 12 days. And that's something I, I tweeted out shortly after kind of the Tyler Lockett, Quandre Diggs stuff started going around. Bobby Wagner chimed in. There was a good counterpoint that was made um, that, you know, yes, it's normally after you play a Thursday game, you got the short rest. That is followed by 10 days of rest, that hidden by. Right. You do only get the six days of rest after that first Thursday game. So you get four days of rest and then six days of rest, and then you play again, and then you get the 10 days of rest. Yeah. So I, I do think I wouldn't be surprised if we start to see an elevated injury ratio uh, on the back half of those uh, back-to-back Thursday games this year. Are you talking load management, Jackson? Oh man, I, <laughs> I don't blame, I, I don't blame, I don't, God, it's so much harder to do in the yeah, NFL, yeah. right? It's so much harder to do. I honestly, I think teams should be able to dress 80 guys for games. I think only dressing 46 is lunacy. Yeah. But. Yeah. Well, this was fun. It was it good was. to have you on. Uh, yeah, I man, want I you, it. I want to give you a chance to talk about a new product and, a, and I believe mm-hmm. you're probably enjoying it right as we speak, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. So uh, for those of you who may not be familiar, uh, I write an article and host a podcast called Cigar Thoughts. Um, it's a football show. And uh, yeah, we, we've been fortunate to have a lot of support over the years from people listening. And, and you know, one of, the, one of the things that kind of surprised me jumping out about this, you know, when I was writing the article and it started to gain some traction, I, I got to thinking like, what is unique about this process for me? And it was that I'd always smoke a cigar after the game and just kind of work through my thoughts in the form of, of the article. And what really kind of stood out to me is in the comments section, you see so many people asking about what cigar I was smoking and, Hmm. you know, where's, where's a good place to get cigars. And, you know, the most common question I get asked is, Hey, I want to get in cigars. I don't really know where to start. You know, what's a good one. And I always had this kind of dream of being able to answer that question myself. So uh, we linked up with one of the, premier cigar manufacturers on the planet and have released cigar thoughts brand cigars uh that you can order from cigar thoughts nfl or just hit me up on twitter at jackson bevins j-a-c-s-o-n um and and i'll shoot you the details on that but quick little pitch on those they're 13 year age dominican tobacco leaf which is a crazy age for cigars Mm. um and, and that age lets all of the uh, acridity get out of the cigar. It's extremely smooth. These retail, uh, this exact blend retails uh, when it's banded and branded by major companies at $35 to $40 a cigar. We're selling them for 10 packs of, at $169. So you're getting them for less than half price. Wow. They're shipped straight to you. They come with a Mylar bag and a Bovita humidification pack. So you don't have to worry about having a humidor. They'll stay good. Just keep them in a drawer or closet and, uh, and you'll be fine. But they're really, really good cigars. Man. When's the uh, when's the bourbon line coming out? <laughs> well, you know, uh, I, I'd be lying if I say I haven't explored that. <laughs> We're working on that. And then there's the the uh, OK No K shirt. You got a lot on your plate these days. Man. I do, I do. <laughs> uh, that's at Jackson Bevins, J A C S O N B E V E N S on Twitter. Right. Also at Cigar Thoughts. Thanks for joining me, man. We'll uh, we'll talk again before the season starts. Dan, you're the man. I always appreciate it, man. Thank you for the opportunity. All right. Hang around so I can talk to you after I uh, sign off here. All right. Sounds great. Well, that's going to do it for this show. Uh, Guys, thanks. Thanks again to. to <laughs> it's slow. That's not music. Let's do this. It's like the first time I've ever done a podcast. 
Let's use that music again because that's called um, that's called symbiosis, right? Is that what it's called? Use the same music that I use under his uh, montage. Uh, that's going to do it for this show. I am Dan Vienz. This is Seahawks Forever. Please like and subscribe. Uh, like this video on YouTube and subscribe to the channel. It's the best way to support the channel. Lots of growth lately. Really appreciate all of that. Uh, at Seahawks Forever on Twitter. If you ever have any questions or ideas, things that you want me to address on a show, just shoot it over to me and we'll get to it. Uh, coming up next Monday, we rescheduled. I know I talked about it last week. Griffin Sturgeon of the Seattle Overload Podcast is going to be joining me Monday. Uh, we postponed last Monday for Game 7 of the Kraken. Unfortunately, the Kraken didn't win, but great season for them. And then uh, Rob Staten's going to be joining me uh, sometime next week as well. Stay tuned for that. Uh, in the meantime, any breaking news or anything that uh, requires a reaction, I'll react to. Until then, thanks for listening.